Uh, We'll be in Matthew 9 today. So before we get there, I just want to give some history of Matthew before chapter 9. So basically, Matthew chapter 5, chapter 6, chapter 7, Jesus is teaching all the people all sorts of things. He's teaching them about how life is. He's teaching them about the narrow way. He's teaching them about false prophets. He's teaching them about not judging others, the Sermon on the Mount. He is just pouring out his heart teaching them right from wrong, do this, this is the way. Okay, so he's just kind of laying that out. Um, But at the end of his teaching in Matthew 7, verse 28, it says, When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching, for he taught with real authority, quite unlike their teachers of religious law. So before Jesus had arrived on the scene, there were lots of religious people teaching about a lot of religious do's and don'ts. So Jesus arrives and starts unfolding all of this stuff. And they're starting to notice here in Matthew 7, he's quite unlike the other teachers of religious law. So on to the next chapter in chapter 8. I think we all know the story when Jesus was in the boat. And who was in the boat with him? The disciples, right? And the waves began to come and the storms began to come. And it was a real scary situation and Jesus is asleep. So they go and wake him up. Jesus, Jesus, you know, come check this out. You know, the the boat is going crazy. And so Jesus comes up and what does he do? He speaks to the storm and he speaks to the waves and it's calm. And so in Matthew 8, 27, it says, So the men marveled, saying, Who can this be that even the winds and the sea obey him? So Jesus, I would have loved, I love these scriptures because I'm like, man, these people were bound by religion and law and that's all they, you know, what they ate, what they did every day, how many times they prayed, that's, that was their life every day. And then Jesus comes and he's like, oh, well, what about this? And what about this? And what about this? And he starts unfolding all this new information. They begin to notice, who is this guy? That even the waters and the wind obey him. Because remember, he was a man. He looked as normal as the rest of us, right? So they're like, what makes him so special? So that brings us to chapter 9. Last week, Mark preached um, in the early verses of chapter 9. His title was, Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven you, or to say, arise and walk? And that was one of the things that we talked about last week. When Jesus spoke, or when Jesus showed that he had power and authority to forgive sin. Up until this chapter, until these verses, Jesus showed he had authority over nature. He showed he had authority over sickness, right? He was going around healing people. He had authority over demons and over spirits. But at this point in chapter 9, Jesus shows, I have authority to forgive sin. And they're like, they're going crazy. Who is this guy? Who does he think he is that he can forgive sin? Like, really? Like, we were trying to get the whole thing, like, you're a guy, and you heal, and you know, you've know you got all these things that you could do, which is not normal. So they started to see that there was something special about Jesus. But now he's even saying he can forgive sin. And the guy, remember in the story, he did. He got up and walked, didn't he? His sins were forgiven. Um, in verse 11, in chapter 9, verse 11, Jesus demonstrated his authority over the man-made customs. And he, uh, remember he ate and hung out with the sinners and the tax collectors. So he was saying, you know, I have authority over all your customs and your religions. That means nothing, because I'm willing to... Remember, they were all mad at him. Why are you hanging out with these people? That doesn't make any sense. 
So the people at that time had all sorts of questions for Jesus. I love, like, if you read the word, especially in these, like, chapters in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, there's all sorts of questions. And then have you ever noticed how Jesus answers with a question? I'm like, oh, that kills me. What are you saying? Just say it. Right? Because he wants us to try to figure it out. He wants us to dig in. So the people of this time were bound by religion. They were bound by law. Their whole lives were structured around do's and don'ts of rights and wrongs. Um, They had a lot of legalism and doctrine. Um, And when Jesus came, he healed, he delivered, he forgave sin. And this was all new to them. And they're thinking, he's just like me. He eats with normal people. He does all these normal things. But yet, we've seen him heal the paralytic. We've seen him tell the blind guy to now see. And they saw all these things that he was doing. So they're trying to wrap their mind around the fact that he's a normal guy. But yet, he's very not normal. Could he be the Messiah? Could he be something more than just a man? So all the religious people up to this point were kind of okay with the fact that he was healing people. You know, they were always asking questions and always kind of lingering around to see. But when he said he could forgive sin, they were like, oh, oh, okay. That just ticked them off, right? Like, really, you think you can forgive sin? And that, at this point, you start seeing the turmoil that is happening everywhere that Jesus goes with the religious people, the legalism, all the customs, the traditions. He was shaking up the boat. Have you ever shook up the boat before? Yeah, I was always raised not to shake the boat. You just, it's all fine and dandy, but if you shake up the boat, I met Mark, and he shakes up the boat. That's what he does. That's why he was born, to shake the boat. So I met Mark, and I'm like, don't do that. He would ask for more ketchup at the restaurant, and can you do this? And my burger's not right. And I'd be like, oh, my gosh. But that's what Jesus was doing the whole time he was there. He was like, well, no, that's not right. And here's what I think about that. And here's what the kingdom is. And here's what my father says. And he was constantly like, here it is. Let me lay it out for you. So the work that he did and the person that he was, they were trying to connect the two. Like, could this guy who does all these things be some sort of godly figure? Or is he just a man? They were trying to figure it all out. So tonight we're going to talk about Jesus. Surprise, surprise. Right? Every week we talk about Jesus. That's what it's all about. Um, but tonight we're going to talk about why he did all these things, how this applies to us. And in Matthew 9, there's only four scriptures we're going to cover tonight. And I really feel like it's just going to speak to us today and how it applies to us today. So Matthew 9, we're going to cover verse 14, 15, 16, and 17. So I'm going to read all four of them, and then we're going to kind of break them down. So verse 14. One day the disciples of John the Baptist came to Jesus and asked him, Why don't your disciples fast like we do and the Pharisees do? Verse 15. Jesus replied, Do wedding guests mourn while celebrating with the groom? Of course not. But someday the groom will be taken away from them, and then they will fast. Verse 16. Besides, who would patch old clothing with new cloth? For the new patch would shrink up and rip away from the old cloth, leaving an even bigger tear than before. Verse 17. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins, for the old skins would burst from the pressure, spilling the wine and ruining the skins. New wine is stored in the new wineskins so that both are preserved. So see, they ask him a question. At least these aren't questions. Well, some of them would, you know, the old patch of clothing go with the, like he answers with questions. But there's three different stories that have no connection to each other, right? They're three totally different topics, which I think is very interesting. And in in three of the Gospels, 
when these scriptures are presented, these stories, all three of these examples are listed. Have you ever noticed like the different gospels? Sometimes it's a little bit different or they will only touch on one thing. All of the gospels that tell this story share all three of these different stories. Okay, so the first verse, verse 14, is the question. They pose a question to Jesus. One day the disciples of John the Baptist came to Jesus and asked him, Why don't your disciples fast like we do and the Pharisees do? So John the Baptist was a very popular religious man, right? And he had followers that would kind of follow him. So um, those people, John had gotten thrown into prison. And so he was in prison. And so the people that were following him were mourning. Anytime in that culture somebody was in prison, somebody was, you know, suffering, you mourned and you fast. You would fast. And that was culturally acceptable. That's what you were supposed to do. So all of John's followers were mourning and fasting because John was in prison. Now, Jesus gets ready to answer this, but they're questioning him. Jesus, why are you and your followers not fasting like we are fasting? Because we're doing the right thing. This is what we do. In our culture, in our time, in this area, when somebody's in prison, and you love them, right? You believe in them. You fast because you're mourning, you're grieving. And so they're very confused on why Jesus, who believes the same thing, is preaching the same thing. Why aren't you not fasting? So this didn't make sense to them. So that's the question in verse 14. Example number one, verse 15. Jesus replied, Do wedding guests mourn while celebrating with the groom? Of course not, but someday the groom will be taken away from them, and then they will fast. So Jesus is basically saying here, I'm the groom. This is a celebration. I am with you. I am with my disciples. I am with all these people. Why would I mourn John in prison when you guys are with me celebrating? We should be celebrating. And then he goes on to say, but someday... The groom, I, will be taken away from them, and then they will fast. So he's even speaking. I love how the Old Testament speaks to the New Testament. Jesus is a fulfillment of everything up until he comes, and then he speaks of everything to come after. I love how it all just plays in together. But he's telling them, someday I will be leaving you, and then they'll, then they'll fast. So I don't think they caught that. I'm just imagining, but I know I would have been like, what? What did you say? Because <laughs> they don't get it. They don't get the whole, I'm a groom. I'm going to be taken away from you, all that stuff. So he's asking, no, they wouldn't mourn. Why would they mourn? I'm with you. They're celebrating. Um, so this is why his disciples weren't mourning. It was more about what was going on around them than it was about the law which made everybody very mad because they were all very structured and they were all very law-oriented with what they were supposed to do. And Jesus was mixing it up, right? So example number two is in verse 16. Besides, who would patch old clothing with new cloth? For the new patch would shrink and rip away from the old cloth, leaving an even bigger tear before. So this example is an analogy of cloth. So if you would try to take a new piece of cloth and patch it to something that was older, it might work for a second. But what he's saying is if that gets wet, if anything happens to it, that new patch is actually going to pull away from the old fabric 
and it's going to cause an even worse situation than it was in the beginning. I love the way he says this stuff. He's like, would you do this? No. Would you do this? No. He's like throwing it out there like, this is ridiculous, people. You know, like, so easy. But you wouldn't put something brand spanking new fabric on something old. This whole analogy is new to me because I don't sew. I don't know anything about anything. But I know enough to know when I've patched my son's clothing, because he, you know, slides around like a little boy does, it looks really dumb for one, but now they have the iron on. Those are nice. But the patch, you can't ever, it can't ever fix, it can't ever hold. I mean, it might be a temporary fix, but it's not the same. You've got this old worn fabric. Maybe it's grass stained. Maybe it's pulling away and the fabrics are tearing apart and this perfectly new, tightly knitted. You see what I'm saying? It doesn't really work. And that's what Jesus is trying to say here, that it would actually make the problem worse. So the third example is in verse 17. And no one puts new wineskin into old wineskins, for the old wineskins would burst from the pressure, spilling the wine and ruining the skins. The new wine is stored in new wineskins so that both are preserved. So it's the same kind of idea, the old wineskins and the new wineskins. If you put new wine into an old wineskin, it would completely bust from the pressure of the fermentation of all the wine. It, the old wineskin is already worn and it's kind of stretched apart and it's used, right? And so if you put that new wine into the old wineskin, it's going to bust. It can't hold it. It can't hold the new wine. And so it would not only spill the wine, it would ruin that wineskin. So you lose both. You lo- lose the wineskin and you lose the wine. So when you have new wine, you want to put it in a new wineskin because it's firm, it's taut, it's brand new, it's made to hold. So as the fermentation process happens, it can expand with the wine as that process takes place. So all three of these examples, even though they're totally different, cloth, wine, and the groom. They're totally different. They all have the same message. You can't take the new and just attach it to the old. So what is he telling these followers of John that are asking him, why aren't you doing these things? Why aren't you fasting and mourning? He never, he kind of addresses it in the first one. Well, we're not doing that because, but it's in a roundabout way, right? Well, because I'm the groom and I'm here and we're celebrating and not like, I don't know, he doesn't just outright say, but in all three of these examples, it's basically the same thing. You can't attach something brand new, fresh, to something that's old and worn because it it will make a matter worse, basically, right? The wineskin would be worse. The cloth would be worse. In the first analogy, he was kind of answering more of the question, but it would be worse to mourn John in prison when Jesus is with you, right? Why would you warn John in prison when Jesus is right here? You know, so that's what he's saying. He's breaking it down from the old and the new. So he's trying to explain something very important. Jesus came to bring freedom, to bring life, healing, newness, a freshness, right? All these people knew up until this time was the old, legalism, laws, right and wrong, 
You have to do what is acceptable, the culture, the traditions. That's what they lived by, and that's what they thrived off of, and that's what all the other religious people taught. And then here comes Jesus. That's why I love that we're all crazy. Jesus was crazy. Like he, out of the norm, he wasn't the normal guy. He came about it from a completely different angle and said, well, what about this? And they're like, no, I can't even fathom that. We do it this way. So the old, there's another scripture later in Matthew 11 that talks about being weary and heavy laden. And it says, take my yoke. And I love that scripture because it doesn't make sense. These people are saying they're heavy laden and burdened. Do you know what a yoke is? It's like a yoke around the neck of an ox or something. It's heavy, right? And hes they're already heavy. And he's like, take my yoke. <laughs> Here, take something more heavy. But basically what, is, what he's saying is mine is light. It's light and it's easy. So he has come to take all the oppression, all the burdens, all the weariness, all the heavy ladenness to give us rest and peace and life. So the old way, all the customs, the traditions, if Jesus came and just said, I'm just going to add to it, I'm just going to sew this new thing onto the old thing, do you think it would have worked? It wouldn't have worked. His example was it wouldn't make it worse. Right? If I take this new fresh anointing, this new freshness that Jesus brings, this healing, this amazing compassion and this love, and I try to apply it to the law, would that work? That wouldn't work. They're completely different. Right? I've noticed with my kids, if I try to lay down the law, it might work for a little while, but then they're just doing that. And the minute I turn around, I can't watch them. They're like, woohoo! Because I'm just laying down the law. But if I'm not around to lay down the law, then they're like, what am I doing? They can do whatever. But if you teach them with grace and with love and teach them the right way and empower them to make the choices for themselves through the freedom and the grace that the Lord gives them, then they choose to do the right thing because it's the right thing and they love the Lord. Not because, Mom, lay down the law. Does that make sense? You can't apply the new to the old. They're totally different. The old system is regulation, right and wrong, and Jesus came to do away with all that. So tonight, what I feel like the Lord just wants to speak to us tonight is what things in our life are like the old? What areas do we have tradition or something, maybe it's something our parents taught us that they meant well, but it provided legalism or religion, and it has bound us and it has kept us in this place. And when the Lord says, "I want to bring freedom," you're like, "Oh, I can't. Nope. This is how this is how I do it." And the Lord's like, "Well, what about this? Nope. This is how I do it. This is how I roll right here in this little box. You know what I mean?" And the Lord's just like, hmm, well, is my grace sufficient? Well, yeah, but I screwed up, so I'm, fi- I'm fixing it, Lord. I'm, I'm working it out. I've done that before. And then I'm like, duh, that's the better package. You know, why are you over here? He's offering you free grace. Woo, out of here. Repent and be done with it, right? Move on. So it's a short message tonight. But I think in these three verses... It's a very simple message that God has a fresh new work that he wants to bring. 
He's always breathing freshness. He's always speaking new things. He's always moving. He's always working. He's always changing us. I love the scripture that talks about we're just like jars of clay. Because it's him, the glory, his glory gets to shine in these earthen vessels. And so what traditions, what legalistic mindsets do we have that are keeping us where we are? It's our schedules. See? It's our schedules. We're always on a schedule. So what ways do we have? And we have we told the Lord even, this is how I do it. Or this is how my mom taught me. This is what religion says. Or maybe we've understood the the Bible wrong and thought this is, and it has bound us. Jesus came and the same things that he preached when he was here are the same things that he speaks today. They have not changed. So when he's speaking freedom and grace, then he's speaking freedom and grace now. He had compassion for people who were bound, whether they were bound by sickness, whether they were bound by issues, whether they had problems. He had compassion. And he got infuriated when the religious people tried to hold everybody back, didn't he? He couldn't handle it because they were so opposite of each other. He would get so angry because he's like, no, my people are supposed to be free. They're not supposed to live in bondage anymore. Thankfully, we didn't live in this time where there was so much. We've known Jesus, even if it's short time or long time. Our culture is so much more gracious than the way these people lived, the way they ate, how many times they had to pray. I mean, their whole lives, if you study their culture, (sighs) that's all they thought about. There wasn't time for grace or family or relationships. Mm. And so today I just hear the Lord saying, whatever it is that he wants you to carry, to do, to be, that you can carry it. I found myself this week as I was praying and spending some time with the Lord, I heard the Lord say, will you carry my glory? Will you be the carrier or a carrier of my glory? And I thought, and I started weeping, but I thought, well, of course, all of us Christians, that's what we do. We carry him. We car- Right? We carry him, and that's his glory and his presence. So, even though I knew I was already doing that, he was asking me, will you carry my glory? And I was like weeping because I sensed that the Lord was asking if he could bring something new of him and his presence into my life. And I tell you, there have been many times I have said, maybe it wasn't proposed, you know, proposed the exact same way when the Lord has said, will you do this? Or could you do this? Or, I'd like to use you for this. And I've been like, "Mm, that's uncomfortable. Maybe later. You know, the Lord was calling me when I was young. I was like, nope, I want to party. I want to do everything that I want to do, and then I'll serve you. And the Lord came to me in a different way, and I said, oh, my gosh, Lord, I will do whatever you want. But sometimes we put him off because it's too scary. It's too hard. We think we're not equipped. Well, Diane can do that. She's known you all her life, but no, I'm brand new to you. No, maybe later, Lord. Or we act like we don't hear him. 
Have you ever done that one? You just are kind of like, ah, yeah, he's not speaking to me at all. I, I'm just going to, I'm going to keep coming. I'm going to come to church. And I'm going to do what I do. And he's not, he's not telling me to start a home group. No, no. Have you ever done that? I've done that one too. Where you just kind of, eh, if he really wants me to do it, he'll confirm it in 1800 ways and he'll write it on the wall. And then, then I'll start that home group, right? So whatever it is, I just feel like if he's asking you to carry his glory, if he's asking you to start a home group, if he's asking you to give him your heart, if he's asking you to come to him and give your life to him, if he's just drawing you closer, whatever it is, let's set aside our tradition. Let's set aside our boxes and our structure and whatever it is that might be holding us back and say, yes, Lord. Yes. I'll do it. Because the new thing that he wants to do in you cannot be attached to your old thinking. It won't work. It won't work. The new thing that he wants to stir in your heart, the ministry that he wants to do or that change that he wants to make, if you try to apply it, to the old and just fit it in it's not going to work when I was a young mom the Lord gave me an analogy because I was so weary and I was so tired and I was like God I'm doing everything for you why is this so hard and why am I so tired and I just feel like I'm drowning and he said why are you trying to juggle me I'm like what (laughs) like why are you asking me a question when I asked you a question why are you trying to juggle me? And I saw myself juggling my kids, my life, church. And oh, there's God too. I'm juggling him. Like he's just this part of my life. He's just this piece like everything else. He's not supposed to be a part. He's supposed to be everything. He's supposed to be at the core, at the center. He's the juggler. He's the one that makes it all work. And so we can't take the new of what he wants to do in us and just throw it in the mix. It won't work. I've tried it. It doesn't work. But if we let him be the center, let him run our lives, let him be the lover of our soul. And he's the one we run to. He's the one we cry out to. He's the one, he's the glue that sticks it all together. Then when he speaks something new, It's incorporated so easily because he's already in charge. He's already doing it. So we don't have to change anything because we've already submitted it all to him. So when he's like, I'm breathing this new thing, you're like, okay, go for it. Because I'm just following you anyways. You want me to do that? I'll do it. Because you have a heart for him. He's at the center. So if you're like me and you find yourself juggling him or just having him be a piece of the pie, He might be speaking to you tonight that that new thing, he wants to be at the center so that everything else can function, so that your heart is in the right place. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. When we put him first and seek him first, isn't it amazing how things just fall into place? Life may not be happy-go-lucky, 
things still happen. We're not exempt. It doesn't make us super people. And we're just exempt from stuff. But have you noticed how in the midst of the storm there's peace? In the midst of a difficult situation, you find that you have wisdom out of nowhere because of him.